0: This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. Welcome, everybody, to 52 Living Ideas. Maritza and I are holding down the fort tonight. We will be your facilitators as we are going through chapter three of Flow, the psychology of optimal experience by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Just a little housekeeping so everybody knows we have a hard stop at 8:55 today because directly following this meeting there is another 52 living ideas meetup on the ascent of man but it will be at a different zoom link so we'll make sure to give that to you and definitely going to want to join in as we go through jacob brunovsky's classic documentary this is one of my favorites actually in the jacob brunovsky series, The Grain and the Stone. But first, right now we get to go through chapter three of Flow and this is, I believe one of the most important chapters in the whole book because we're finally going to go through all of the elements that MC identifies as the characteristics of the Flow experience. So this is really where we get to go in and get a really clear picture about what Flow is all about. But first we're gonna do a presentation where Ritza prepared. Although right now we're just looking at her computer screen, Ritza. We're not, we're not seeing the presentation. We're seeing your meetup screen right now. Ah. Uh, you we did see the presentation. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened there. You, you had it Uh-oh. up there. Let me, let me try again. And then it went to <laughs> your meetup huh. screen.
1: That's no good. All right, I will try again. Give me a second.
0: No worries. So just so everyone knows, we're going to do this presentation because this group, is definitely open if you've read the chapter. If you haven't read the chapter, ah, here we are. So just so that everybody is on the same page, then we'll open it up for questions and comments from people who are reading along with us, people who have read the chapter, want to say something. We're going to go into breakout rooms and then into a round of liking questions. And that should hopefully take us all the way through 855. All right, why don't we get started then with the slideshow experience. So first, just a quick introduction. If this is your first time joining us, we just had a couple bullet points. If you wanna read through and see what we talked about in the introduction, the first chapters here, just to give you a sense of what this book is going to be all about. I just wanna read one of the quotes I really like here on this slide is where M.C. tells us that happiness, in fact, is a condition that must be prepared for, cultivated and defended privately by each person. People who learn to control inner experience will be able to determine the quality of their lives, which is as close as any of us can come to being happy. And in the chapter we're going to explore today, he makes this distinction between pleasure and enjoyment. And I'll just say personally, as someone who's really invested in thinking about language and language issues, it's clearly not a common use of these terms, but I think he does give us a really interesting concept, a way to think about first the kind of pleasure that is immediate and instantaneous and in the moment versus a kind of enjoyment that actually is difficult, requires work, but leads to happiness in the end. And this is where we're really going to get into what a flow state is all about. And that's what our our whole chapter here is going to be all about. Did you want to say anything about this introductory slide, Marissa?
1: No, I'm going to hold off, and we'll just going to go through these very quickly. Um, What I will do, though, for you guys is I'll throw the um, PowerPoint into the chat for you, if any of you want to pick it up. (coughs)
2: Cool.
0: You want to (laughs) take us to the next slide, then? So this is just a quick recap of what we did last week. It's been a couple weeks since everyone was here, and for everyone who wasn't here, in the last chapter, we had an in-depth exploration into consciousness and what consciousness is all about. For example, one of the things that we learn about here is that the mark of a person who is in control of consciousness is the ability to focus attention at will to be oblivious to distractions, to concentrate for as long as it takes to achieve a goal and not longer. And the person who can do this usually enjoys the normal course of everyday life. So for those who were here last week, you might remember we spent a lot of time talking about focus and attention, how focus and attention shapes the self, and then how that self then might in a spiral way shape what it is that you focus on, and this now, I think, sets us up for going to that specific aspect of consciousness, which is our consciousness of pleasure and happiness and enjoyment, which is what we're going to in this chapter. So here we are now, chapter three, our big chapter for the week. This chapter is called Enjoyment and the Quality of Life. So just a quick quote to get us started. MC tells us, instead of worrying about how to make a million dollars or how to influence people, it seems more beneficial to find out how everyday life can be made more harmonious and more satisfying and thus achieve by a direct route what cannot be reached through the pursuit of symbolic goals and that's what we're going to do in this chapter he's going to give us the eight elements of the flow experience and it is through Paying attention to these elements and trying to have more of them in our everyday life that we can improve the quality of our everyday experiences and ideally hopefully bring more enjoyment into our everyday experiences. We learn here that in our culture, wealth, power, and status have become powerful symbols of happiness, but so many of those who achieve these status symbols are still miserable. While these symbolic goals can be useful and helpful, they should not be taken as the answer to our unhappy lives. MC talks about the methods we can integrate into our daily work life to achieve our our preset goals, One is to make external conditions match our goals, while the second is to experience external conditions so that they fit our goals. Neither of these strategies is effective when used alone. To improve life, one must improve the quality of experience. I'll say one thing I found really interesting at the beginning of this chapter was, he talks about how we have broadly these two different kinds of strategies to become happy. We can either pay attention to what's going on out there in the world around us and do things to change what's happening in the world around us to make ourselves happier. Or we can bring attention to what's going on inside ourselves and try to make changes inside ourselves in order to improve the quality of our experience. It struck me that it seems like this is almost the the classic West versus East, if you wanna put it broadly that way, how these two cultures, broadly speaking, have tried to solve this problem. But I love how MC emphasizes that we need both of these strategies. We need essentially a wide ranging global approach perhaps could look at it that way, we need to look at traditions from both the East and the West. We have to become masters at both controlling our inner experience and also controlling our outer experience. And when we can have that range of tools, that that's what's gonna help us live better lives every day. Murta, do you wanna jump in and share some of your thoughts about the start here?
1: Sure, Um, to me here, this the last, line it seems very small and very you know simple to improve life one must improve the quality of experience and yet i feel even if you've never picked up this book and you have no idea what flow is that statement gives you a path towards finding flow even if you're not aware that what you want to find is flow because we if we talk about the this what are, what do we what do we ultimately want all of us want a better life right we want we do want i mean it says to improve life and if you reverse it and you ask yourself this question do you want to improve life very few people that i know would answer no to that question so if it's possible to do so by improving the quality of experience then how do we do that and that that there is the key to the setup for the rest of this chapter. Um, MC is telling us, okay, this is the bar. And now I'm gonna help provide you with tools on how to get there. And um, it's, so I I think that that's the, um, keep in your mind that the goal here is experience. And then we'll move forward with that.
0: Mm -hmm. Well said. Ready for the next slide. So next, we start this chapter before we get to the eight different elements of the flow state by this discussion of pleasure and enjoyment. Uh, And again, we have this great quote, to gain personal control over the quality of experience, one needs to learn how to build enjoyment into what happens day in and day out. So to expand upon what it might mean to learn how to build enjoyment into daily life, MC gives us this distinction between pleasure and enjoyment. He tells us experience can give you two things, pleasure and enjoyment. The pursuit of pleasure is an important element of quality of life, like eating, sleeping, and resting. Pleasure helps to maintain order. However, it cannot create a new order in our consciousness by itself pleasure feels good, but it's not rewarding. Enjoyment, on the other hand, is a different sensation. People naturally get huge enjoyment from growing and developing. Enjoyment is characterized by a forward movement, by a sense of novelty of accomplishment. So as I said, I think there is perhaps a quibble here about the language. Certainly, this is not the way that these words, pleasure and enjoyment are typically used, I think, in the English language. But I think the distinction that M.C. is pointing us toward here is a really important one to grasp. And I see him telling us that we really ideally want both of these things in our life. We want pleasure, which comes from immediate Experiences, sensory, the immediate emotional experiences of feeling good, feeling happy, feeling pleasurable. And we also want enjoyment, which comes from facing challenges, from doing things that are difficult, but by pursuing these things that in the moment may not feel so good, may not feel so pleasurable, by pursuing these challenges. These are the experiences that allow us to grow. As MC will put it, it brings more order to the self every time we gain a new skill and level up our abilities and learn more and become better versions of ourselves. He phrases this as we're bringing more order to our consciousness. We are growing the self, and that we want both of these experiences. And flow is really gonna get into this second aspect. It's gonna get into the enjoyment aspect of what it is to to have this quality of life.
1: Yes, Um, and I think I agree entirely. And uh, one thing I do wanna add on here is to point out to you that between the words pleasure and enjoyment is the word and. It's not versus and it's not or. So I I agree entirely with what Joya said is that we're not negating that both of these elements have some value. We're just saying that if we're looking to gain control over flow in any way, shape or form, the path towards that is going to lie more within enjoyment than pleasure. And um, it's okay because MC is going to explain to you why.
0: Yeah. and One more interesting thing to add here is I think many times when people in a conventional sense talk about happiness, they're often sometimes just focusing on the pleasure aspect. They're just focusing on what you might call a hedonistic approach to having happiness in life. And I think what's really powerful about this book is that MC is literally going to give us the recipe for enjoyment. He's literally going to tell us what are the different elements that we can bring into our lives so that we can have this more difficult kind of happiness but one that is ultimately deeper more meaningful and more lasting than just the momentary pleasures so that we can have all of this range of happiness in our life so we can have the momentary pleasures and the really deep difficult enjoyment so i think that is going to take us then to our next slide right maritza
1: Yes, I'm gonna two two more things off of your comment is mm-hmm. um, you guys um, some of you have heard me say it before. I'm gonna say it again. I in general don't subscribe to the notion of seeking happiness, so I will be the more stoically inclined of those of us here. I think that you know if you seek, if you do so many of the aspects and things that we're gonna see here, you're gonna find that you're not actually trying. To your target is not happiness. It's going to be, I've said it before, I think it should be a happy byproduct of, you know, goal searching and finding that meaningful path. And so, you know, maybe that's just words. And, um, but the, uh, I do see that the way it's going to be, you'll see it spelled out for you throughout this chapter specifically. Um, it actually agrees with that. He's not pointing you directly towards happiness, he's helping you frame. You know, maybe build a road.
0: I love that phrase. You said before even this phrase of building the path forward to finding flow. I think that's even just a great phrase for what it is we're trying to do, and for everybody on the call who is familiar with stoicism, I think it's going to be really great the kinds of integrations we'll be able to make when we do the, you know, syntopically looking at flow and stoicism and seeing how they, they compare. So let's then dive into the eight different elements. So, and one of the most fascinating things about these eight elements that really came out of MC's work, and I think this is really what has made him a legend in the field, you could say, and and really is the basis of this whole flow book, was that he recognized that these elements of flow were universal. He did this research talking with people literally of all different ages, races, religions, socioeconomic classes, people literally all over the planet, different fields of endeavor, different careers, different passions, people as different as you could possibly imagine. And yet, universally, there were these same recurring themes that came up over and over again. So we really had this picture of a view of flow that applies across the board universally. So perhaps not every single individual, but something that definitely transcends time and space and cultures. And that's what we're going to start exploring here. And the first element of flow that we're gonna talk about is often in shorthand referred to as the challenge Skills balance. And it's reflected here in the graph that Maritza provided for us. And as it says here, that what this first element requires is a challenging activity that requires skills. The difficulty of a task has to provide the right degree of challenge to a person's ability. A too difficult piece of music will leave a musician frustrated and disappointed. A too easy one leads to boredom and routine. So flow occurs in the range between too much and too little. I always like to think of this channel as the Goldilocks channel, because it is that just right sweet spot between, on the one hand, anxiety, frustration, fear of failure, and on the other hand, boredom, routine, loss of interest. And what I think is even fascinating, and this graph already starts to capture, is that there is this upward motion, ideally to flow, that as human beings, we have this ability to learn, to grow, to develop new skills. And as we're developing new skills, we're seeking out greater and greater challenges. And this is one way in which you could almost say by riding the flow channel, we're consistently growing ourselves. Because let's say, To give give an example, let's say we are this musician and you've never played a note before in your life that the first time you try to pick up the instrument, that's gonna be an incredible challenge. But what will happen? You'll start to practice and then those first few notes are gonna be too easy. So now that's not gonna get you into the flow state. So you're gonna have to increase your skills more. Try to find that sweet spot where it's challenging, but not too easy. And so you're gonna have to continually keep up-leveling your skills in order to keep writing that Goldilocks channel, that sweet spot of the challenge skills balance. Did you wanna add anything to that, Maritza?
1: I I don't think I can. That was perfectly stated. We're just gonna move on.
0: So the next elements of flow, you'll see Maritza and I even started to organize these into pairs because as we were going through it, it seemed to us that several of these really even start to go together. So we're going to discuss all of these as pairs. So the first pair we wanted to discuss was this idea of having both clear goals and immediate feedback. That when you have these two elements, clear goals and immediate feedback, These are elements that can help get you into that flow state. So, in terms of clear goals, we want tasks that are goal directed and clear. It says here, allow for the best possibility of achieving flow. A trivial goal will not produce flow. So, this connects it again to this idea of challenge. So, we want a goal that is clear and challenging enough. And then simultaneously, we want immediate feedback. We need various bits of information that provide a symbolic message about our goal. Any kind of feedback is enjoyable if it is logically related to a goal in which one has invested psychic energy. So again, and I think, probably for people in this group, uh, can even maybe start making some interesting connections with the concept of the OODA loop um, and what that is to have goals and feedback and how that helps us progress. And what we're learning here, I believe from MC, is that this is critical for how we grow ourselves in complexity and how we achieve this deep level of enjoyment in life.
1: I will say when we start getting into these, so for the first one, I, to me, I felt like it was like kind of obvious, right? And, and it made perfect sense to me, you know, more greater challenge, that sweet spot between challenge and skill set to me was kind of a no brainer. When we slide into these, these are slightly touching more on the emotional side to me than the intellectual. Not to say it's negating the intellectual, but it's kind of one of those things of, If one turns it inward and asks oneself, are my goals clear? Do I get immediate feedback? It's kind of shocking to realize that for some of your goals, you've never actually considered that. And so this is here where I think that it's useful to just be reminded that these are very important elements. And uh, even though they seem kind of obvious, um, because they do seem obvious, they can easily be. forgotten, especially the feedback, the concept of feedback, I think that we live in a society that is ever increasingly thin skinned. So, you know, the question on how we would get feedback for some of us may seem a daunting task, but it's good to remember that when we're talking about feedback, I love the way it stated various bits of information, right? Because you're not necessarily looking for somebody to tell you that you're just on this amazing path. You're looking for little things. Like if you have a goal and, and you know, you're, know say the goal is a six month plan. If you get one aspect of it, if you look at it from a very clinical um, perspective, you're like, well, it's only 5% out of hundred. But if you look at it from a perspective of, I needed a hundred pieces and I wasn't sure that I could get it, but now I have one piece. Is it easier now that I only have 99? Wait, what does this one piece give me? It's a jumping off point to get to the next piece. and that's what having a feedback brings and it, it doesn't need to be a verbal kind of feedback. It can be any small clue or something that you see because it's a sense right so so if we're where our ultimate the ultimate goal is flow. So what is going to put you on that path it's like you know, with Goldilocks, as um, Joya mentioned, her feedback, instant feedback, was too hot, too cold, right? So those are the types of things you're looking for. They can be external or internal, but I, I think in general, they're probably going to be more internal things, I would imagine.
3: All right, Joya.
0: I think that that's perfectly said, and. Uh, I don't know, my, my stream doesn't seem to be working. Can everybody still hear me? Yes, hear but me you're,
1: you're, you're, yes, but you're freezing up a little bit.
0: Yeah, I don't know why my computer's not working. I'm going to try to maybe close some of these things down. Uh, so I'll just quickly talk about the next elements here. So the next pairing that we have is loss of self-consciousness oh, and oh yeah, the transformation oh yeah, time. These are interesting to me because so in times... Joya,
1: Joya, you're cutting out.
0: Okay, you want to take the next two?
1: I will, yeah. Um, try and see if, yeah, because you're we're not hearing you. Half of what you're saying is going off. All right, folks, man, I've got the, what is it? The baton, the baton? I don't know how to say it. Sorry. Okay, so we're going into the loss of self-consciousness and the transformation of time. So we're looking at the loss of self-consciousness the way we're describing it here for you is concern for the self disappears yet paradoxically the sense of self emerges stronger after the flow experience is over and then for the transformation of time it's the sense of the duration of time is altered hours pass by minutes and minutes can stretch out to seem like hours what these two are saying to us is this idea of everything else fades away. When you hit that sweet spot, you'll know it later. You won't know it when you're in that sweet spot, because when you're in that sweet spot, that's all that exists. You don't have time to wonder about any of your your personal, you know, demons or angels or insecurities. All of that is going to fade away. You don't have any you just don't have time for that. Be, or not time, you don't have enough bandwidth is what happens. When you hit the flow state, whatever you're doing becomes the only thing you can perceive, the only thing you can see. Um, I really like the um the way here that sorry, and I I wasn't wasn't quite ready to, to chat yet, but so so. MC tells us that in flow, there's no room for self-scrutiny. So because enjoyable activities have clear goals, stable rules, and challenges well-matched to skills, there is little opportunity for the self to be threatened. And I think that that's, that's a really important thing. Almost more so is that we also are told that, you know, the loss of a sense of self is sep- it's a It's the loss of the sense of self separate from the world around it. And and this is, for us, it's a case of everything falls away, right? So if you find yourself worrying about, you know, day-to-day trivialities, well, then now you've bumped yourself out of flow and it's like a oneness or a single pointedness of mind is, is what you're... I mean, that would be the goal, right? But it's like, so something else that I think is important here is the, and I'm focusing on the loss of self-consciousness because I feel like the transformation of time, that's a really simple one to grasp. And all of us are like, oh yeah, time flies when you're having fun, right? We all have heard that statement. So that's kind of encapsulated in the transformation of time. But this loss of self-consciousness is the one that for me, I kind of had to sit and mull over for a while Um, because MC also tells us that, you know, we should really be aware that the loss of self-consciousness does not involve a, a loss of self and certainly not a loss of consciousness. It's only a loss of consciousness of the self. Have I lost you guys? You still following me? So loss of self-consciousness, a loss of consciousness of the self, but not a loss of the self and not a loss of the consciousness. That's really important because you're still a conscious being, because if you're not conscious, you're probably asleep or, you know, fainted or something else. And you're never going to lose your actual self. It's not going to get lost, but you're going to lose the consciousness of yourself which I think is fascinating because while I've never before really pondered it, if you think back on those moments when you were just in the flow, you know, if you're, if you're a runner and you're running and after like, you know, mile 10, well, if you're a real runner, 10 miles is probably nothing, but if you're me a mile, and it's really hard. Actually, I have been in that place where a mile or two miles was my limit. And when you get to the end and you're like, oh, I can't make it, but then you round the corner and you see the end and you're like wait a minute i can make that and you just start sprinting for all your worth there's nothing on your mind nothing except i can make it there just a little further right and everything fades away the fact that you probably look a sweaty mess and you know you're and and you're slow compared to the person running next to you or there's a car passing by that's probably gonna mock you none of that answers into your consciousness because there's no room. Only thing you have room for is that marker up ahead that tells you, you made it, the distance you were going to make. And that's what they mean by a loss of sense of self. You can't be insecure. You can't scrutinize all those things that we spend 90% of the rest of our time doing because there's no room, because you are so focused that everything else just falls away. And that includes the self. The, the, the most fascinating aspect of that though, is that when you are done with the flow state and your sense of self becomes aware to you again, not the same self and isn't that interesting it's so somehow in the time from when you were halfway through that run and you finished that run your self changed you emerged a different self even if minutely because it grew it changed the better but you can't know that perceive it or even ponder it until after all right so i've spent way too much time on there
0: no can you can you hear me like i don't i don't know why my computer just died (laughs) but um, i think it made you the host though so i think you're now officially uh, the host let (laughs) me host you let me let me
1: add you as co host again if i can i don't know But if not, go ahead and um, go on to the others and I'll I'll do the um,
0: behind the scenes uh, admin Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, so um, I just wanted to say something really quick even about the idea of loss of consciousness and transformation of time, which I was starting to say before I got cut off. This this one is really fascinating to me from the research that has come even since uh, MC wrote this book way back in 1990. So since that time, there's been a lot of really interesting research, I think from people who've been interested in the neuroscience of what's going on in a flow state. And one of the things that these researchers have identified, they call it transient hypofrontality, which is a fancy way of saying for a short time, which is transient hypo, meaning the opposite of hyper, meaning less, and hypofrontality, meaning frontal, your frontal cortex. There's this idea that your frontal cortex uh, in this transient momentary way minimizes its activity and that seems to be related to both of these aspects of why you lose your sense of self-consciousness and also your ability to process time usually that that kind of activity is processed in our frontal cortex so that to me was always just something really interesting that perhaps suggests why these elements come when you are in a flow state but let's get on even to the ones here about um the merging of action and awareness and concentration on the task at hand. To me, this is even indicative of what the flow state is all about. What's how you know you're in a flow state is because you're having that experience of being so absorbed in whatever the task is that that's all that that you, you can process. That's all you're aware of is whatever it is that's going on right then in the moment. And it comes with that feeling of how it feels like the task and yourself just merge into one. I love how Marissa was describing it as, this is the the feelings of what it is to be in the flow state. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add there then, Wurtsa, or should we go on to one?
1: I feel like, interestingly enough, I feel like the first to the pair of the loss of self-consciousness and the transformation of time, they really go very much hand in hand with this merging of action and awareness. And the concentration on the task at hand because it's all leading you to the same um, point that everything else falls away when you find yourself in that sweet spot that's the only thing you can possibly see
0: so the last element of the H here to talk about is this idea of the paradox of control. And this one I think even takes us into how this chapter ends up, which is going to be a description all about the auto-telec experience. And I have to say, words and I were even talking about this earlier. And this is one way in which this chapter, the way he organized this baffles me a little bit because when I read this chapter, I see that this, the heart of this chapter is all about these eight elements. That's really what our focus is going to be about. And our next chapter, chapter four is really going to get into this idea of the autotelic experience, so I don't know if this is his way of just trying to give us a little bit of a teaser, uh, and so maybe this is your teaser, so hopefully come join us in two weeks time, where we're going to go into more depth about what, what he means by this idea of autotelic experience. That's really what chapter four is, is all about, but just to get us into there, and because it is how he rounds up this chapter, First, we have the idea of this last element um, when we're talking about flow, which is the idea of the paradox of control. She so says here, enjoyable experiences allow people to exercise a sense of control over their actions. And to me, it's fascinating that, the, that it is this paradox because on the one hand, given the feeling of what it is to be in a flow state, on the one hand, there is this sense of a lack of control but yet the way it feels is that you have this sense of control. So the paradox there, I believe, really is in the feeling, feeling that you have this sense of control, even when you're really operating at what really is probably the upper it, but in limit edge of your abilities when you're in that channel of the, the challenge skills. balance. And then just lastly, to, to give you a little sneak preview here about autotelic experience, MC tells us going to inform us that an autotelic experience is one that is self-contained and is not engaged with out of expectation of future reward, but simply because the doing in in and of itself is reward enough. An essential aspect of optimal experience, and perhaps the most significant one, is the engagement in the act for its own sake. Optimal experience is an end in itself. And then this final quote, the flow experience, like everything else, is not good in an absolute sense, It is good only in that it has the potential to make life more rich, intense, and meaningful. It is good because it increases the strength and complexity of the self." And I have to say, I do feel he really leaves us with this big cliffhanger here at the end of this chapter because he's gonna give us this idea that a flow state is an end in itself. It's something that we pursue because it it feels good to do. We, We would do it for no other external reason but for that intrinsic motivation of the enjoyment that we get from it. But then he's gonna point out to us that several instances of things that are flow states are things that we would objectively identify as being bad, if not downright evil. Uh, For example, people have flow experiences when they're in war, that that's definitely uh, a kind of circumstance where all of these things come to play, where you're totally absorbed in the moment, where you're in that challenge skills balance it's definitely a flow state. Um, Also lots of criminal activities, he points out to us, um, often happen in a flow state, which means that the flow state itself is not necessarily something that we would morally, I believe, identify as a good, that there's an ethical component that's separate from flow itself. But then he really just gives us that teaser into this really big topic that we, we don't really, I believe, cover in full depth here yet.
1: Right, that's very true. The, um, the concept of um, flow being a neutral element is, um, I think it's fascinating one. Um, we touched upon it a little bit last week. I think that we'll it, it see elements of it probably, I would expect in every chapter, um, which is why I chose this quote because I thought it was a really great last quote. And then we're hoping we're gonna use this quote when we go into our chat rooms. Um, but first I wanna chat a little bit with you about um, the paradox of control. The what Something that is really important here to, to point out is that MC tells us that what people enjoy is not the sense of being in control, but the sense of exercising control in difficult situations. He says, it is not possible to experience a feeling of control unless one is willing to give up the safety of protective routines. Only when a doubtful outcome is at stake and one is able to influence that outcome, can a person really know whether he or she is in control. Um, and that that's kind of almost exactly what um, Joya was just saying, just in a slightly different way. It's this thing of, you know, you're not like, you're not, you are not literally in control. The challenge for you, that moving forward aspect, it's not about being in control. It's about exercising control. So you are wielding these things and you are shaping, let's use lose the, lose the word destiny. I will say that it's not, um, it's not not the best word, but for lack of a better one right now, right? You are shaping that path. You are molding it. And isn't that far more enticing than being like Dorothy, who's on the yellow brick road and she has no idea where it's going? That's what he's saying to us here. What we want, we want to be building that yellow road. We want, now we're not going to manifest the bricks ourselves. So you're not, it's not like you can control whether or not that happens, but you can shape it. and that's the and and the reason it's called the paradox, at least by my understanding is that because it seems like what you're doing is trying to be in control, but you're actually not. You're trying to exercise the control. So I just thought that was a really important thing for us to all kind of think about in the the paradox of control because it's a really it's a key element. and some of us, if we struggle in our day to day with control questions or problems or concerns, it's a nice but very fine uh, point that's being made here. Um, and and uh, for the um, auto telec experience, um, actually, I think that yeah, we're going to get so much more into that um, in the in the next upcoming chapters. That um, I am going to leave you guys with uh, the gems that uh, Joya has already given us on that
0: so next we're gonna turn this discussion over to all of you especially all of you who read the chapter and then boards I know we're having technical difficulties apparently do you have are you do you see the breakout rooms on your the bottom of your bar there now? I do yep. Okay, so then we're going to open it up to anybody who's read the chapter at this point. If there's anything else that Moritz and I didn't say, that you definitely want to make sure that we mention and put on the table. And then after that, we're going to go into our breakout rooms. But if anybody would like to say something here, uh, you you can either raise your hand or uh, just type exclamation point in the chat as well, and we can call on you to come to the floor. It looks like Judith first. And then Sharon. Judith.
1: So we have uh, Felicia yep. after Judith and then Sharon.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, thank you.
1: Yeah, you can't see the raised hands. I'll type them for you.
3: Okay. Um, thank you. So um, I guess I just wanted to, to um, find point something that uh, Marita is an example Marita gave of the running and being in flow when you're trying to reach that goal because that felt to me like not flow because then you have a goal is flow it would seem to me when you're running it's more like you're just that action of foot after you know foot step after step after step without a goal per se when you're like in you know maybe you know halfway there and you're just like I can do this or you or you realize, okay, now, now, now it just seems to be happening, but not at that last minute. But you know, that's just me, but maybe you can, um, you know, tell me how I'm seeing it may be wrong.
0: I think that's a really interesting valid point. One of the, the questions here that I don't think MC really gets into in detail is, do you need all of these elements to get into the flow state? And my sense is that the answer is no, that, that it would seem to me that most flow states have most of these things, but not necessarily. So for the running example, it would seem to me that when, so even so even sometimes the, the phrase runner's high uh, is, is often seen as equivalent to being in the flow state. But I believe when that happens, it's because you're at that point where you're in that sweet spot of the challenge skills balance that You are totally absorbed in the moment. You probably are getting immediate feedback, uh, even if it's at a more of a subconscious level of of what it is to, you know, as you're as you're running and and having the experience of running. But I I would see that you're right that you perhaps don't necessarily have clear goals there, maybe beyond just the fact of keep running is the clear goal. Did you want to say anything more to that, Maritza? Yes.
1: Sorry, I forgot I was muted. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> to um to address, yeah, the, the runner comment I made, what I was hoping you would focus on is the fact that all your aches and pains, all your um self-conscious moments fade away because you've now set your sight on the end goal because now you can suddenly see it. And it's like, you know, you're feeling super tired, you don't know if you're gonna make it, you're feeling self-conscious, and then you turn the corner and you see the goal. It's not that you're focusing on the goal. But seeing that mile marker that tells you you're done, it just does something. And it puts you in this state where the only thought you have is to make it there. Um, That was the example I was trying to give. I don't know, maybe it wasn't the best example, but it was kind of just to show you that all your other cares will fade away and they become non-issues. And it's not because, okay, I'm good, she got it. Thank you, (laughs) sorry.
0: So, and I think we answered Felicia's question here too. So we're gonna then do Sharon, Jack, I think Dave also raised his hand and then we'll go do the breakout room. So Sharon next. Sharon, you're still on mute here, sorry. Why don't we go to Jack and then Sharon, um, unmuted. You can come in next. Uh, Jack, you want to go next?
4: Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, thank you for the presentation. I really appreciate it. You gave me a lot of things to to write down in his notes um, that I didn't already have while reading through the chapter. Uh, So, the first time we met, uh, we'd gone into breakout rooms, and I forget who it was now, had mentioned his experience with flow in the workplace and how. you know, he kind of uh, experienced a negative aspect of it where, um, you know, it became almost like an addictive property. And at the time, you know, when I first heard this and I hadn't read through the book yet or really gotten deep into this topic, um, I kind of like didn't associate the two. I, you know, I said that uh, at the time, I think I said something along the lines of, well, that's, that's more, isn't that more work um, being a workaholic or, or the idea of workaholism as opposed to flow, which is, you know, something that is like um, what we said before, a neutral state and all these various different properties as it relates to enjoyment of the experience. And then on um, page 61, he mentioned, wait, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, on page 61, he says, uh, this sense of being, so this is in relation to the paradox of control. Uh, This sense of being in a world where entropy is suspended explains in part why flow-producing activities can become so addictive. So I I found that really interesting, and and it makes sense. I mean, he gives examples of, like, uh, escapism and and playing chess and how somebody had come up with – it got really bad. (laughs) Like, somebody had gotten, uh, you know, got so focused on developing a chess strategy and then tried to apply the concepts in real life and ended up throwing himself out of the window. So yeah um there is that and then also uh on page 69 so this relates to the autotelic experience um he says but as we have already seen in the section dealing with the sense of control one must be aware of the potential addictive power of flow we should reconcile ourselves to the fact that nothing in the world is entirely positive every power can be misused so um, yeah, it's gotten me uh, you know a new perspective on uh, you know the impact of flow and, and the potential addictive properties of it.
0: Well, thank you for that and 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 bringing that up. That wasn't something that we get discussed, but I think you're right. That is a really important thing to focus on here. That that flow does have this potential to be addictive. It's not all necessarily perfectly positive. You want to pursue flow, but you don't want to get addicted. And I'll just add here too, that this is even one of the interesting things that's now coming out of the neuroscience research that the scientists are making connections between the neurotransmitter chemicals that get released when we're in a flow state. And it turns out that a flow state seems to be correlated with dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, essentially all of the feel good chemicals that we know are addictive for humans. So there is a way in which playing with flow can be like, playing with fire in a sense, if you're not careful to pay attention to the potentially addictive aspect to it. So thank you for bringing that up. Cause that's definitely something we're going to want to keep in mind as we go through this discussion, we want to pursue flow, but we don't want to become addicts for sure.
1: Right. And I, I do want to say that I, I, um, I really do appreciate that, um, MC is very careful to make sure to tell us that, um, you know, it's, It's not a either or scenario. It can be both. And I love the idea that we should be ever present or not ever present. We should be ever conscious of the fact that flow is neutral. It can, you know, how you use it is how it ends up being. I like, and he tells us, you know, he says it is an illusion to believe that any solution is beneficial for all people and all times. And if we, we remember that going forward, then we, we won't like get stuck too hard in one place.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. So Sharon is next. Great. Thanks. Sorry, my computer froze up last time. So I first have a question and you had mentioned that something happens in the brain physiologically that causes I, it's not really a, it's, I it sounded like a change in consciousness. I think it was point number seven. If you could maybe talk a little bit more about that. And then I um, was noticing in my notes something I found pretty interesting was he talked about you could create flow in those situations that are annoying or just considered a waste of your time, like sitting in the dentist's office. By, I think he said, they can become enjoyable right by restructuring it, providing goals, rules and the other elements of enjoyment. And I kind of likened that back somewhere in the chapter, he talked about that gentleman who was sitting in these boring conferences and he created this tapping um, with his fingers and had 888 or some astronomical amount of, different kinds of variations. And that really helped him create flow in a situation that was boring. So I thought that was interesting too.
0: Thanks for sharing. That was so impressive to me as well. Every time I read that, I kept thinking that really applies to our current age when we're all doing these Zoom meetings. We all probably need uh, this this tapping skill perhaps. Um, and hopefully not this meeting, but I'm sure we've all been on Zoom meetings where that, that probably would be a good skill to have. And for your first question, I'm going to put this word in the chat, transient hypofrontality, so you can Google it and find out more, but you're exactly right. it And it's essentially even something that happens with the brain, which then obviously produces an effect of consciousness where, where the activity in the frontal cortex is minimized. And that this is the center of the brain that's responsible for things like our consciousness of ourself and our consciousness of time passing so that when there is this minimization of activity there, it's why we have this experience of loss of self-consciousness and this experience that the time either seems to go by really fast or, or go by really slow. Yeah, I'll put that in the chat for everyone. We can go to Dave.
5: Yeah, thanks Joy and Marisa for leading us through this journey. I'm enjoying the book so far. The thing that stood out to me is it's a combination of your attitude and the activity. Uh, you know, several times you mentioned climbing a rock wall, but, but nothing's magical. Just climbing a rock wall doesn't mean it's going to be a flow experience, but it's, as I said, the combination of your attitude and the activity.
2: Would you like to comment on that? Ritsa, do you Hi. want to go first or? No, I was saying you were
1: muted. I wasn't oh, sure if was you're yes, talking um, I can go first, sure. Um I, I think that um it is so the the thing is that's what we're kind of putting under a microscope here together. We're looking at the concept of, you know, and, and you're right, it's it's kind of it's an attitude thing, you know, it's a we we are looking to take control. We are looking to manifest ways to be on that path. The path, you know, the meaningful, right? If if I like to look at it as the meaningful path, a mean to, towards a meaningful life. So if, if you don't want to just be wandering around in the forest and hope that you magically find the road with no compass, no no nothing. No way of knowing how to reference anything. What you are, what we're looking at here is the ways in which to make it something that helps you align with this path. And it's, and and you're absolutely correct that just do just because, like, say for example, if you know Joya is like a huge, avid rock climber and she gets this intense flow from rock climbing. And you're like, oh, well, I'm going to rock climb so I can get flow. And then, you know, you do this like super hard flow thing and all you're done at the end is you have bruises, right? And you're like, I feel jipped. What the, what happened? It's because it's not the right mindset for you, because again, it might have been, well, I don't know, it might not have been pleasurable for you, but if, if the only reason for climbing that rock was because you wanted to find joy as flow well i mean naturally you can't get there because it really is it's um it, it's interesting to think that you have you have to put all your senses into it but then you have to lose all your senses to it so that's that's where i'm going to leave that for now
0: i'm just going to add that i am definitely not that rock climber for me to hit that challenge skills balance have you ever seen those those uh walls they construct to help children learn where it's all styrofoam and you're still in the harnesses and even if you fall you just fall on the padding that would be my challenge skill level at this point but maybe someday and then maybe someday Dave could join it with me too so next we're going to go into the breakout rooms words i think you should not have it on your panel you should just be able to hit the that breakout room sign and Um, automatically assign people to four different rooms i think we want to create four different rooms and the question that we came up for you guys for you to discuss here so we talked about these eight different elements we talked about the challenge skills balance we talked about having clear goals immediate feedback we talked about the experience of losing self-consciousness about time passing strangely we talked about the sensation of action and awareness merging, the paradox of control. So of, of all these different elements of flow, the question we had for you was, which of these is most resonant for you in flow experiences that you've had? Maybe this is something you think you could try to add to your daily life to find more flow, or maybe it's just something that you've experienced in a flow state that you've had yourself. So. Where it's a, can you take it over here? Try to put yep. everyone into the start, groups.
1: Start and break I'm it. I'm going to try to see if I
0: can fix what's going on here on my right. computer
1: too. See you folks in 20
0: minutes. Yes. Right, Good to see everybody again. I think I'm going to try to put my video down just so I can make sure that I have audio here with all you guys. But it is now time for the lightning round. So this is the time when you get to think about your best question from what we did today, maybe something that came out in the breakout room or something that you thought of as we were going through our presentation today. So if you'd like to put a question on the table, again, you can type exclamation point in chat or raise your hand here. We're gonna collect everyone's questions and then we're gonna try to go through as many as we can. And as I said, we do have a hard stop at 8.55 so that hopefully we can all transition to the Ascent of Man group at a different link. Maybe I'll even put the link up while I still connected here. All right. So it looks like Jyoti is first.
6: Thank God Joe is not here today. <laughs> I can be first. <laughs> okay. My question is, <clears throat> it's weird. I was going to ask Jeff and then the time left. Um, Can anxiety, can you, okay, how am I going to frame it? Can you have feeling of flow while you are, Anxious, anxiously performing a challenging act. Challenging when you're anxiously consumed in a challenging activity, there's an element of anxiety there. Can you have flow at the same time?
0: Good question. Oh, okay, thank you.
6: <laughs> I, was,
3: I was like, well, I don't
6: know what kind of person it is.
0: I, I think that that's one that probably a lot of people are thinking about, even as you're perhaps reflecting on some of your own experiences. That'll lead us to a good discussion. See, so anybody else want to ask a question? Michael here made a comment. I think when we frame something as important that we previously thought of as trivial, flow now becomes possible while in that activity. Thank if, you for the
6: comment.
1: Can, can you um phrase that maybe as a question? Because I do like the um. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a sh- strong statement, but it does t- in my mind it opens the question of, okay, so how do we, this concept of reframing, where does it fit? Mm-hmm.
0: That was an excellent way to reframe that question, too. I love it. <laughs> oh,
1: and Michael, I do apologize. If you come up with a way to make it into a question, by all means, please, type like exclamation. We'd love to hear your take on it or make yeah. it a question.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Next up, we got Judith.
3: Yes. So I would like to get a better sense of um, like where flow ends and begins or in our definition because, um, you know, so so we have flow in the menial things we do every day, possibly, right? If we, with the right attitude and things like that. And I have seen that happen. So I gave the example once that I um, lower my resistance to doing taxes and I'm actually in the process of doing them. I kind of lose sense of time. And there's a kind of a sense of pleasure that comes from it after when it's done. But he gave the example in the book of reading, uh, reading books is a common one. And so then I, I, I just am not sure if that's, you know, I mean, I lose myself reading books, you know, go to another world, really get into it, but it doesn't seem like then where would you draw the line? Couldn't that happen in a movie? Would that be flow? So where do we draw this line of what is flow and what is not?
0: I'm going to say this as what is flow, what is not, and I like the way you put it too, what is the beginning and ending to flow as a way to think about that. And certainly, if you can find flow doing taxes, that is definitely something that has never happened to me. So I'm going to have to get some tips from you. Anybody else want to share any questions? Otherwise, we'll get started with answering them. So let's even start then with Jyoti's question, which was about the relationship between anxiety and flow. Can you be anxious and be in a flow state? Would anybody like to share any thoughts for Jyoti's
2: question?
4: Um, so I was going to say that uh, I don't. I think like if if you're well, if you, you go by the graph, like he specifically has anxiety and boredom as to opposing, uh, you know, forces or states, and then the flow channel inside. So I guess it. it in answering. I think that it would be if you have anxiety from the experience probably not um but there's there's anxiety and then there's excitement so excitement I think you know would be uh part of the flow channel you know uh it doesn't break you out of that um state I don't think but uh but yeah in terms of like anxiety um Anxious feeling, like an anxious feeling. Yeah, it really comes down to like, how do you define whether it's anxiety or if it's uh, excitement. Um, and then somewhat related though, I, I had a somewhat related question is, so he gives a lot of examples of like mountain climbers and people, you know, racing, racing extreme kind of sports. Um, I'm wondering if like thrown into those types of extreme like life or death type of situations, if flow can't be uh, attained faster, because it's, you know, you're almost like your psychic energy is redirected from like a lot of other things and now kind of forced into that state where, where, you know, it's almost like a part of a a uh, self-preserving aspect um, where, yeah, it's almost like you have to be in a flow state in order to survive a certain situations.
0: Thank you, Jack. That, that's a great question. And we're going to add that to the list, and next up, we've got more of the Jays here to answer Jyoti's questions. So after Jack is Jeff and Judith, and then Maritza breaks our pattern. Jeff is next.
7: Hi, th- thanks for a, thanks for a wonderful presentation and session. Um, so I, you know, I think of flow as um, something where I'm just completely immersed. You know that there's a kind of a focused concentration, it takes, it takes all my mind. It, it you know, it, it's where I am emotionally. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm there physically. It's unlikely that I'm gonna gonna easily get distracted by anything else, either thought or even other things that happen. And so um, while while sports and, and certain things in work certainly achieve that, you know, I remember like it was this morning. Times um, when my uh, my my children were young and um, and they and I was with them, and they uh, got injured in some way. One fell off a bike, one fell off a horse. and my my focus was so complete, and um, I mean, there wasn't anything going anything else going on in my world until they were safely in the hands of somebody who could who could um, take care of them, and um, so I, I think of that as 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 flow. But was I anxious? Absolutely, I was anxious. Part of my flow was not showing my anxiety, but main but the conversation I was having with myself in order to stay um, adequately uh, calm, but be absolutely. As smart as I could possibly be regarding what to do in every second of every moment. So I think that um, I think that things that might generate anxiety or concern, at least in my experience, some of them have certainly generated what I think of as love.
0: Thank you, Jeff. I think that's absolutely true that there's definitely an element of risk and high consequences that leads us into that flow state and certainly that experience of being immersed and absorbed in that experience is what flow is all about. Let's hear what Judith has to say about this next.
3: Oh, I love Jeff's example. Um, wonderful example, because I was just thinking, I'm going to, my response was going to be that it's that sweet spot where, but where you're also exercising control. So if you're, that he talked about, so if you're anxious, so that you are like frozen, you're not going to have flow, but if you're, you could be anxious the way Jeff described, but um, so concentrated on exercising your you know, control, you don't have control, but you are exercising control. I have to, I need to do this, I need to do that. And so um, I, I see that as, I can see that in hindsight that people look back and say, you know, like, wow, and I just did all that and I don't know how it happened. And I would say that's flow.
0: For sure. Thank you, Judith. And Marissa, next to answer.
1: So I'm actually gonna cheat a little bit here. And um, can you guys see the screen? do you see the screen joya yes we see it perfect all right so so this here this is the challenge versus skills graph portrayed just a little differently this is going to come um up in our future chapters but i just wanted to show it up real quick because anxiety and worry are literally on here and this is a great visual to show you where flow falls in the line if your anxiety is so you could potentially find flow in some of these different states. But what it's saying is if you don't have the right balance, because remember the sweet spot lies along this path here, right? So if your, if your challenge level is too high in comparison to your skill level, you're going to just miss flow and get stuck instead in anxiety. So that's, that's kind of, you know, this is like flow theory. If you wanted to type it into Google and see what comes up, that's kind of what it's called. Um, so this uh, graph kind of is my answer to uh, Yoti's question from a very cheating perspective, because this is actually MC's uh, words here. From a personal perspective, I think there's there's no room. I would say the answer would be no. It's kind of like I don't know if you guys experience this, but right before I give a presentation, I have like all these butterflies in my stomach. And you know I'm super nervous. My palms are all sweaty. You know I'm looking, and I know I'm prepared. I've done all the prep, the research. I've got my notes. I have my words. What I'm gonna say. I've studied them, um, and I'm super nervous. But then something magical happens when I get up on that stage, and I start to speak. No more sweaty palms. No more butterflies. I don't even remember. That I was like two seconds away from throwing up. The only thing there is what I've already prepared, making sure I'm looking out at people. And I'm not even thinking about looking out at people, I'm just naturally looking up. And that's maybe a slight oversimplification of it, but it doesn't have to be something like rock climbing, like um, somebody put in the chat that they, they're immersed when they're serving others. I can see it. If If what brings you immense enjoyment is being in a soup kitchen and being able to provide for those who can't for themselves. I can totally see that you can be standing there on your feet for three hours, giving out meals and not even notice it. You'd be like, whoa, where did the time go? You know, your anxiety about the fact that you still have to go home and put in five hours of work, or you have to make sure your own kids have food or none of that going to be able to be in your mind because you've got this is your focus and it's almost effortless so it's not that your anxiety magically disappears it's just that all of your bandwidth is being used by this task if it's a task that's got just the right components to put you in a flow state the anxiety kind of has to Take a backseat because you don't have enough bandwidth for it. And that's all I was going to say on that. Thank you.
0: I love that word effortless. I think that's a great word to describe what it's like when you're in that flow state, when you are so immersed and so absorbed in what you're doing, whether it is serving others at the soup kitchen or rock climbing or reading, that you're having that experience of being totally absorbed, of having some kind of challenge but of being totally immersed and it just feels effortless. That's a beautiful way to describe it. Let's then turn to then, oh, Jyoti, I think wants to say one more thing in response to her own question. Yeah, Um,
6: I agree. Uh, I was thinking on those lines too, Marisa, when I asked that question, was I could not see anxiety and flow hand in hand they couldn't possibly go because when you are, you have a flow, Mm -hmm. there's a wonderful feeling of relaxation with it. And if you have that kind of anxiety, then there's no room for the flow. Now I do the exercises and I try to make 10,000 every day and 10,000 steps. Then it comes at nine o'clock. So I have to make sure (laughs) that before nine o'clock hits, I have to do my 10,000. And keeping that in mind, I the portion of anxiety in that case gets kind of, takes a backseat. Sometimes it will start with, I'll start with anxiety. Will I be able to make it by 10,000, uh, by nine o'clock? But then once I get started with it, with my steps, that takes a back seat, And sometimes it disappears as I'm going through. And there's a perfect feeling of relaxation, but I'm very sleepy at nine o'clock then <laughs> because I'm totally relaxed in my head. But that's besides the point. So I I think you you have you have said it right that you can't have anxiety when you are consumed and you are trying to forget everything around you, and but you have this anxiety going with you. Then how, you know how how you can feel that feeling. That, you, that nothing around you matters to you. It, it does matter to you. Anxiety is there to matter to you. So, okay,
0: thank you, it makes sense.
2: Thank you, Jyoti.
0: And now I'm gonna be looking to see if Jyoti's gonna start pacing back and forth at 9 p.m. during some of our meetings, if she hasn't yet gotten in all her steps for the day.
6: <laughs> well, you know what, I did finish my steps. Actually, I did 11. But every day um, the, I do nine o'clock sessions and by 10.30, I'm like um, just zooming out. I can't process. And, and then suddenly I will say, okay, you know what? It's make, I'm enjoying it and all that is there, but it's not really going in. So I will write to Srikant. I'm leaving now. <laughs> so I can't go. And sometimes they go beyond 11.30. I can't handle that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, thank you. No, I'm, I'm okay. Today, I'm okay. It's seven o'clock. Seven o'clock, I can handle.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Next, let's go to Judith's question, which was this question about the beginning and end of flow and how that flow state fits into the rest of our activities for the day. Anybody have any thoughts they'd like to share to answer Judith's question here? If you have an answer, again, you can raise your hand, type exclamation point in the chat. Can
6: you repeat the question again? I'm sorry, I zoomed
0: out a little bit. Yeah, why don't I even turn it over to Judith one more time just to make sure that we're really clear on exactly what her question is. Judith, did you want to repeat your question?
3: Um, Well, I was just wondering how we define flow straight in certain activities that we do. So he did talk about being lost in reading a book or, you know, when you read a book and you just get so involved in it. And, but, but that's not, um, well, so that's a mental activity, but then um, I suppose then you could say that um, when you watch a movie, then you get lost in a movie, maybe that would be a flow state too. So are we limited to um, states that we're, we're a flow state where there is some kind of um, sense of like personal accomplishment, or it's it's just a passive activity, like I'm watching a movie, right? So, does it have to be an active activity? How are we defining this flow state? What in in those ways?
0: I'll jump in to start to say. One of the ideas that we're going to get to next, and unfortunately, unlike Maritza, I don't have a cheat sheet with a graphic, but there is a graphic that we'll eventually come to, I believe, in all of our flow discussions, that talks about the flow cycle. There's this idea of it starts with struggle, and then there's a moment of release, and then you're in flow, and then you essentially deplete all your energy and you go into a you need a relaxation and recovery stage after it. And that's the flow cycle but i think you're right that watching a movie can be a flow state i think it has to do whether you're having this experience of absorption and immersion so a movie i think would be an example where you're not likely to be anxious i would hope when watching a movie but you might fall into apathy and boredom and perhaps that's what happens to too many people they're just they're mindlessly putting on the TV and zoning out, and they're not really absorbed and immersed in the story that's going on. So I believe this is an example of when perhaps it might be a flow state, depending on your attitude, depending on how you're approaching watching the movie. I would imagine that movie critics, for example, or people who create films probably do very much get into flow states when they're watching films because there's just so much to process and take in and they're, they've completely lost all sense of time and self as they're completely absorbed in, in what's happening with the film. But it probably does depend on the attitude you're bringing there. It looks like Jyoti also has something to say to this, then also Dave and Maritza.
6: Yeah. Um, I think you you said it already about what is the p- purpose of your seeing a movie? Is it an escape, or is it something that interests you, or it ha- like it has some kind of passion for you? Uh, then you can maintain flow. Then it automatically comes. But if you are just um, you know like a, just changing the channels, maybe this one, maybe that one, then the flow doesn't come. So it it depends on what you're like. I I like the war movies, and I go on the Netflix and I you know search for the war movies, and um, once I start, if it's uh, uh, no, usually they are documentaries or there is a, there are war movies too. They were filmed during the war time and there is a story behind it, and once I turn that on, I think I have a perfect flow. I'm just consumed in it. It's um very relaxing to me, even if the movie is uh, taking a negative turn, but I am into it. I'm consumed by it. So that's, it depends on what kind of interest you have in a movie or even in in reading a book. I'm reading a very nice book. My daughter has forced me to read it. Uh, I'm reading it and then I am like uh, in it. And then I, you know, suddenly I will break my reverie. I will say, no, you have some household work to do. Don't just keep reading this. You've got a lot of things to do today. And then I will shut it and the flow will go off. But then I see that I have a flow because I'm enjoying it. Okay, thank you.
2: Thank
0: you, Jyoti. And I see Kimberly here mentions that perhaps it even depends on who you are and what the movie is, that different people will have a different response based on the particular movie and whether or not they'll be absorbed by it or not. Next, so we have Dave to answer the question and then Maritza.
5: Yeah, thanks, uh, Julia. A comment, as far as reading a book, it, to me it's, it's how involved you are in the book. You, I think use the expression zoning out. But if you're in the doctor's office, and you're so absorbed in the book, you don't hear them call your name. Mr. Didamore, Mr. You know, it's your point. Oh, okay. But you know, you're reading, you're not just reading the words you, you're seeing yourself in the book. And as far as movie, I saw uh, the biography of uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, Wednesday afternoon, uh, called Roadrunner. And And I would say I I don't see myself as Anthony Bourdain. I mean, he was the world traveler, had the world uh, in his palm of his hands, got to travel over every place and have these uh, meals with uh, people. And but the fact is, you know, most of us know he committed suicide two years ago. So it was interesting to see his personal journey, what he'd gone through and, and kind of inklings of what was to come. But I was very absorbed. And I would it just was such an interesting movie. It really had my attention. So that's kind of how I see flow. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Now, I definitely want to check out that movie Roadrunner, you said it was called? Correct. Yeah, I'm going to go check that out. Maritza is up next.
1: So um, as somebody who, in general, I'm like the worst TV watcher, I, I, I watch TV and do like a I main and four other things. And it doesn't matter how interesting the movie is, I can sleep through it. I'll fall asleep if I'm tired. It doesn't hold my, it just doesn't, just doesn't do it for me. A book, however, I, I can just forget, like, you know, if I start reading a book, so I have a rule with myself. I'm not allowed to start reading a book in the evenings ever. That's been my rule really since, like, you know, I started my first, like, real job in my early 20s, because I, it just like, I forget to eat, I forget to go to the bathroom, I forget to sleep. And then I finished the book and I've got the satisfaction of the last page. And then I look up and I'm like, oh crap, it's 6.30 AM, I gotta go to work, but wait. So I would say now in hindsight, cause you know, way too young and dumb to know back then. But in hindsight, I would think that I was probably in some type of a flow state. Um, but actually, I think I don't know who used it, I think Yoti uses the word ex- escape. And I'm curious as to, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this as a question and it doesn't need to be answered today. We may get to this in the future chapters. You know, how do we distinguish between something that's an escape and something that's adding us onto this path of flow? Because it could be argued that you know, everything fell away, and my entire focus was on reading this book. But that was only because I was escaping the realities, the unpleasant realities of life, right? So I'm cheating Joya, and I'm answering this question with another question: How do we distinguish between, you know, a true flow state? and an escape mechanism.
0: Well, I love your question. And I will just point out that coming up, let me just double check what week this is. So in chapter seven, which is all about work as flow, we talk about there's a whole section there about the waste of free time is what it's called. And I think that will be where we will start to explore this question of escapism and free time and, is it really, is it a bad thing? What's its connection to flow? So, awesome. We gotta um, wait what, several weeks though.
1: Okay, really quickly, Joya, if I can just throw in two seconds. Um, J- Judith specifically talked about begin and end. And I would just want to say here that maybe the second we realize that other things are encroaching, uh, that would be the end or, and the beginning, I feel like the beginning to me is a little bit harder to pinpoint because i would imagine that you can only identify the beginning after you've identified the end because you're slipping from being in a place where all these you know day to day little small things are they're all they're there and then suddenly they're not but you you're not aware that they're not because you don't you again you don't have the bandwidth even for realizing that you're in the flow state you only realize it when you're done. Does that, I don't know, does that make sense? Or is that the way you view it, Joya?
0: I think that's right. That That's the principle we talked about today, the loss of self-consciousness. So when you're not aware of yourself, part of what you're losing is that consciousness of, oh, I think I'm in a flow state. I think even that would knock you out of the flow state. You'd have to get back into the flow state if that happened to you. Let's move through with the questions though, because we do have to cut this off in just about 11 minutes here so we can all move to the next meetup group if you're interested in doing Ascent of Man. So I see Michael did... Reframe his question, which was all about reframing. So I'll read this here. He says, if we offer our concentration to those tasks and activities, which we regard as important, given this is a flow characteristic, how might we assign some potentials to those tasks and activities which we regard as mundane or trivial that would entice our engagement, perhaps to cause transformations of any size and kind, allowing for flow to occur in the process as well. And I do believe this is a question about reframing. I, I love the way that Maritza reframes the question to be all about reframing. That, that's what I see here as well, that when we have a situation that just seems to be trivial and we want to turn that situation into a flow situation, is there something that we can do to get into flow? So... Let's see it looks like judith has something to say and then jack
3: um yeah i just i think it's attitude you know when i talked about my taxes i don't want you to think i like doing them it's just that when i drop the resistance you know i change my attitude and then i'm like okay it's a big job i'm going to have to do it so like let's just not fight about it and then i let go I really let go all of. I finally jump into it a lot of procrastination but when I finally do it so I think that's the that's the kind of thing that you have to take to any of those mundane things Um, your dishes or whatever is um, is just um, just decide well you know you could do it or not do it and so if you decide you're going to do it you might as well do it all in
0: I like that phrase of describing it as going all in. Did, did you want to share anything more about how you're maybe able to overcome the resistance?
3: No, I'm not good at that. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> sorry, I wish no. I could be, but I know that ultimately that's it. But that when I do do that mm-hmm. with other things too, then I actually can get into a stay where, then like gardening is another thing. And then every time I go out there and pull all those weeds out, I'm like, why don't I do this all the time? I actually enjoy this after I'm done, right? Um, but I will never want to go out there. So um, so it's just, uh, some things there's, there's a resistance. And so, but if you can drop it away and not like carry that with you as you're doing it, because like just accept, well, if you're gonna do it, like I said, just go all in. And then I think you'll be most likely to maybe let that flow come. And And if it would, you know, like, Like, um, but if you're going to do it and have this conversation in your head about how you hate it, you're you're never going to get flow that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, next up, we have Jack, Dave, Jyoti, and I see Felicia raising her hand, but I think that's where we're going to cut it off too so that we can get to a sense of man. So next up is Jack.
4: So on um, page 51, he says, uh, one purpose of this book is to explore ways in which even routine details can be transformed into personal meaningful games." That provide optimal experience. Mowing the mowing the lawn or waiting in the dentist office can become enjoyable provided one restructures the activity by providing goals, rules, and other elements of enjoyment to be reviewed. And and then he goes on and talks about the example of the uh, you know what um, uh, you know was mentioned earlier about the man in, in the uh, listening to a conference and going you know having the tapping game. Um, And so I think like, yeah, what he's saying, goals, rules, and other elements, if you do that through even the most mundane activities, you can get into a state of flow through those practices.
0: Wonderful. That's a perfect quote. Thank you for reminding us of that one. That's perfect. Next up, we have Dave Jyoti, and we're ending with Felicia.
5: Yeah, thanks. It seems to me the key is attention, and I would say pay attention to details. Uh, One thing I enjoy doing is, is cooking, and a lot of times I'm paying attention about whether that, when to turn over the hash browns and stirring things around and such, and I lose track of what's going on in the TV set in the next room. So uh, I would say, uh, try paying attention to details, try that.
0: That's a great suggestion, and it even ties us perfectly with what we discussed last week, with, with this idea of focus and attention, that's perfect. GOT next.
6: Sorry. Um, Yeah, I was just going to remind you guys that last week we talked about this and I had uh, said that I don't like the dishes. I don't like washing the dishes. I don't mind cooking. I don't mind setting the table, but I don't like washing the dishes. So what makes me do the dishes is that I set up like a reward for myself. Uh, What I like to see the reward is that I want to see my kitchen look tidy. I can't stand the clutter and some little crumbs here and there and all that. So I always tell myself, I said, do the dishes because you're going to like the kitchen afterwards. And that makes me do it like, uh, you know, um, what Judith said, without any resentment. And I, I enjoy doing it then, but that's my area. That I have to every day, I have to talk myself out of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Jyoti. Sure. And lastly, we have Felicia.
8: So for me, I have found success in pairing something I'm not openly initially keen on doing with something else, either that I prefer or I don't like to do. So I'm at least killing two birds with one stone. To be candid, uh, Nothing particular to this group. I'm not a huge fan of Zoom calls. I'm not a fan of having to sit in front of a video for X amount of time engaging in this conversation. I like to do multiple things. So I went for a walk. I had a chance to walk while participating in this group. It forced me to be 100% immersed and really open up to what you guys were sharing and the possibility this is something I would want to do again at the same time getting my fitness done for the day. And that has worked for me in other areas. I can't, I don't know everyone's name yet. I'm not a fan of cleaning the kitchen either. I'm notorious for going in there to clean three dishes and magically I'm back upstairs watching Netflix. So I've learned to take my laptop downstairs and put on top of the refrigerator and then have my docu-series of choice running to ensure I clean the entire kitchen. And that has worked for me to start doing something that I don't really like, then over time, like she said, I like having my kitchen clean. I don't need to bring the laptop down. I'm into the flow of cleaning my kitchen. I'm into the flow of coming here two times a month and enjoying the conversations. Over.
6: Wonderful.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Felicia. Welcome. We're we're really glad to have you with us. I'll, I'll share too. I'm. the the Zoom burnout is definitely real. When Shrikant first started all these meetups, they were in person in New York City, and I'm hoping we're able to get back to some of that soon. But I have to say, the amazing thing is getting, getting to meet all the rest of you and having us be able to participate like this from anywhere, really, around the world. And I love your suggestion too, Felicia, of being able to combine the Zoom meeting with something else, like Walking that then just makes it much more of a physical activity. So you're not just sitting in front of the computer screen. That's probably something that I think we can all perhaps challenge ourselves to find what is the ways that we can add to the experiences we have to go through, whether it is Zoom, because that has become so much a part of daily life now for many people. But how can we add more physical activity and more enjoyment to our everyday activities? So I now am going to put in the chat. The Zoom link for the next meetup, it is a different Zoom link. And then I'm gonna turn it over to Maritza to close us out here for tonight.
1: I just um, would like to point out to you guys that there was a running theme for all of our questions here and really for just about all of your answers. And it's this concept of taking control. So there are tasks that need done And we can either do them begrudgingly or manage to find a way in which to wield them where they feel less burdensome and more, and we'll reuse the word since Joy, I liked it, and more effortless. And I would just like to point out that I suspect we will learn together as we move forward more that that's exactly the key. The key is this reframing of things in a way that they are most beneficial to yourself and can help get you on that meaningful path to better experiences and a more satisfying and fulfilling end result, as it were. Thank you, guys.
0: Yes, thank you. So we'll see you all again here for Flow in two weeks at the same time. And next, we've got Ascent of Man. Yep. See you Take next care, time, guys. everybody.
6: Thank you. Thank you both. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. bye.
0: Great
2: program. Thank you. Thank you.
0: This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit delve travel.com. The adventure
2: continues. Ask me why.